Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And tonight, sit back, relax, and enjoy these melodies as we enter our uh, third music episode. Uh, the fifth music episode? Fifth music Is episode. Is it fifth? really? Pretty sure. <coughs> Fuck yeah. Five. This is All our right, fifth cool. yeah. music episode, corrected by Mer. Uh, curated. Overdue. This list was curated by um our one and only Justine. Hey. Yes. That's me. I'm Justine. Hello. <laughs> and uh, on the mic right now is... I'm Mitch. I'm Mer. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. I like wow. that we always forget that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've forgotten it at least like twice. And like I just had to keep going with the episode. <laughs> I feel like shit. So Justine came to us with a list of a curated 10 songs. We're going to talk about five of them today real quick. Mm, and then part two will be the other five, of course. But I really wanted to make a music episode because I love the music episodes personally. And I think when it comes to horror films, especially like the really classic ones, music plays a really important role in a lot of those films. And there's a lot of music that is influenced, influenced sort of by this horror element. And so curated a few songs for you today and the first one we're going to listen to is might i say a classic this is i put a spell on you by Stephen j hawkins Something I found interesting about this song is that the one I'm the version I played for you guys today is by Screaming Jay Hawkins, but there's another version by Jay Hawkins. Same dude. Just he kind of changed up his sound a little bit for this song. So the original version was much more melodic, bluesy, and it still has a bluesy element in this one, but the vocals are kind of thrashed there. You were you were discussing it earlier with me today that he was one of the first people to like actually belt out like not really screaming but the origin of harsh vocals yeah so fun story that i found about this is you know the original was released in 1955 and widely successful played across all radio stations and then one night jay hawkins and his producer were at the studio and the pro- producer comes in with like a fuck ton of food some booze so they start drinking chatting it up hanging it out and they got to you know messing around of their vocals a little bit and eventually this version of the song was born so jay hawkins says you know before this instance he was just a normal blues singer but he found that he could do way more destroying a song and screaming it to death Ooh. And that's exactly what you get here, is you get this gnarly, grotesque, almost sounding version of the song, which surprisingly was not well received. But I mean, for the time, it was a little more, no one was really doing anything like this. Very risque. Very sorry, risque. there's cats fighting. <laughs> yeah, just, sorry, the cats are cats fighting. cats run through the, the middle of our recording area. <laughs> Fucking shit. Uh, but yeah, this this version by the Screaming Jay Hawkins is actually banned for most radio stations. Oh shit! In America? Yeah. Well, I mean, everywhere actually. Oh. That's Wait, it was naughty banned. Stuff. It was banned. What the fuck? That's so random. It's yeah. the spell on you part. Was it banned because of like a like a 
a fear of something like dark satanic well, or like was that their reasoning the original version that was just a normal blues melodi- melodic song was played on the radios but this screaming version that he released later on in 56 was banned because they thought the lyrics were well not the lyrics but the presentation of the vocals were cannibalistic is what one of the terms were (laughs) yeah keep in mind this was like the 50s and this is also a black man who's singing so they tend to associate black people with savagery so cannibalistic was the word that came up a lot god damn i will say on the musical composition it's very staccato just done done just very punchy yeah the the drums themselves are very minimal because he's just hitting the snare drum very lightly Mm-hmm. But it like it kind of makes it a little bit more creepy. I'll say that. Yeah, but back to the conversation we were having earlier. When I say black people invented everything, I mean black people invented <laughs> everything. Uh, um, this is one of the most. Mm, I wouldn't say exactly recognizable because not a whole lot of people know about this. But you know, we've all heard deathcore, the screaming vocals, that kind of genre of music, and a lot of that is equated to European music and. Uh, general like inventions of white people was the harsh screaming vocals but screaming jay hawkins was actually the first recorded artist to use this sort of vocal technique in his music so he walks so everyone else could run exactly and gets none of the recognition for it but i wanted to give him some recognition today he's probably along the same lines as like sister rosetta tharp and like other artists who were not fully credit it for the amount of work they put mm-hmm. into creating the genre yeah like sister rosetta is probably the godmother of rock and roll but no one's going to give her that credit they all give that to fucking elvis yeah Fuck elvis. they don't want to give it to her i think because she originally started in gospel music mm-hmm. and like kind of moved her way over to creating more music outside of that yeah. and so like it doesn't match up nowadays when people think of like what is the rock and roll origin it can't be a <laughs> right. gospel thing and jazz and she can't be black and it can't be a woman right jazz gospel blues all gave way for rock and roll to come into existence it was sort of the foundation for that musical technique yeah it's like a lot of years of history and just suffrage honestly to get to this point um, but it shows you where we're heading. Like t- at this point, people switch their styles every record at this point. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter. So the fact that someone could play A type of music and then play B type of music doesn't matter anymore. But in the 50s, it was just like, this is a cultural shift. This might change our society as we know it. And it was just more, more fucking extra. <laughs> like like, like yeah. that's the only word I could really think like, oh my God, they used to play gospel. Now they're doing this. Not how could that, how can we allow this? But then we have artists now like fucking Madonna that changes her sound every few decades. <laughs> and her face. And her face. <laughs> and her butt. And, you know, it's <clears throat> totally acceptable because we've come to understand that music is a flexible thing and there's many different genres that exist within each other. Well, shit. I'm going to have to start telling people about Screaming Jay Hawkins now. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you've probably heard this song, at least. Everyone's heard this somewhere, whether it's in a movie or if it's covered by um, problematic artists such as Marilyn Manson. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Yo. Gross. Um, But I think that's one of the more notable covers was from Manson. And and the lyrics, I mean, they're they're pretty dark. Yeah. I can't believe that uh, the original version got radio play. I haven't heard that one, but I can only imagine that. I mean, it was the 50s. They were playing some really questionable music, you right. know. But these lyrics are very um, possessive, almost obsessive over their 
romantic partner per se and i want to say like kind of serial killers like, yeah like and, and like that shit probably wouldn't slide although someone's probably out there still making music like that i'm looking at the little preview on netflix and it just says you is right there i'm just like <laughs> okay actually you's a pretty good show I we're at that point to it <laughs> uh we'll have to do an episode on this i think i mean this this song in particular i haven't heard i haven't heard the original one but i've heard this one before like like before we even did this episode and it has more of like that jazzy like like kind of like a like there's a band behind him. Yeah, definitely. You know, where versus like, and it's not too uncommon in blues to kind of have like a sort of like a bit of distortion on your voice and stuff. Like it's mm-hmm. if you go back even like to like the 20s and things like that, you'll see tons of blues artists that did similar. Like not necessarily because he like puts like that soul in the voice. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He like brings it all the way up there. Yeah, it gives um, you pocket. Yeah, exactly. And so it's uh, no, it's a very cool song though. I, I I like the the vibe for sure. But it definitely mm-hmm. has like a jazzy like big band element to it in yeah, this version. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know about the original one. And how the much original more also it is. had a similar uh, setup. They yeah. had an actual like ensemble <laughs> band. Yeah. Shout out to Robert Johnson too. That's like G O A T right there. Yeah, that Robert, guy. Robert. That guy was making deals with the devil. Yeah, cross. Oh <laughs> man, literally. You know, we got to talk about him in another episode. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, he's his his story is very fun. It's interesting. The, that watch, which surprised me because they have a song where it's like literally like the hellhounds are coming for me, and that was the twenties. I can't imagine that this <laughs> thing would get band when that is like way so it's more like dark. anything in america pre-1930 or so shit was dope and then 40s to about the 60s 70s was whack because of all of the christian people who were like you can't be doing stuff like this and put rules and well, regulations yeah, on everything like the 40s film to 50s included. was sort of like the christian revival and sort of the implementation of the american dream which was a very conservative sort of puritan almost idea yeah. of what families and people should look like and then around the late 60s with the introduction of psychedelics we have more <laughs> of this uh, sexual revolution that's happening people are leaning away from anti-war feelings yeah they're leaning away from those conservative puritan ideals that they had and we see a general flip-flop throughout our history of going from conservatives and conservatism <laughs> to more liberalism are you talking about drugs? Uh, I did drugs in the 60s? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, shout out to the guy who synthesized fucking LSD. Yeah. That's, the, that's the other GOA Guy who went on a, the craziest bike ride of his life. <laughs> Facts. Jesus Christ. Could you imagine, like, not having any idea what acid is and then going on a bike ride on acid? He had a good time. He said it was a good trip. Yeah, I kind of want to try that. Anyways. Good song. Good yeah, pick. so let's move on to the next one. This one's a little bit different from our previous selections, and this is Dance Macabre by Camille Saint-Cien. It is a song that was written in 1874. It's a symphonic orchestra arrangement. Might be my favorite one on the list. So this song is defined as being a classical orchestral tone poem. The original version of this song was actually written to be a piano that is accompanying a poet who is reading out the poem, which is called Dance Macabre. 
the story or the legend goes that midnight on Halloween, death will appear in the graveyard and call forth the dead from their graves to dance with him until sunrise. And this poem was sort of produced as what's called a memento mori, which is something to remind people of the fragility of their lives. Yep. Ooh. It's so huge, this is huge theme spooky. around that death. And a lot of sources and, anal- and like people who analyze it say that it's definitely a story about how death is inescapable for everybody. Mm-hmm. You're all going to do it, and we're all doing doing a dance with death, essentially. And mm-hmm. when that dance is over, we'll all die. And so that's kind of the theme they're giving a, right. a, like a, with the song and with the poetry that's going to go with it. And what's interesting, too, in the poem is they make sure to specify that the dead that are dancing with death are of all different walks of life and different yeah, classes. Yeah, exactly. There are barons and dukes, kings and queens and peasants and laborers. But in the end, they're all equal because they're all simply going to die. You're all going to get buried in the same dirt. It sort of draws emphasis not to rely too much on the sort of vain things about life, which are things like status. Of course, you know, those are things that really define how your life is going to look like and how people are going to treat you. But in the end, everyone's going to die. So, it, this is also from the Romantic era. So this is kind of like a, I don't know how to explain it. It's a it's a specific time in history where this kind of thing would have been very popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is like the height of the Romantic era, and creating something like this is why it's so damn popular. And so many people ended up like getting recordings of it and yeah. like saving and preserving them so that we're able to hear it now but what's funny about it is when this song was first performed it actually was not well received by the audience again because this is something that broke a lot of boundaries that were already <laughs> set in place and expectations for music at that time in fact a lot of the audience walked out of the initial debut performances because they felt that they were getting some sort of sense of anxiety while Ooh. they were listening to it oh weird when it comes to like the screeching violin and the repetitious xylophone, people felt like they were in a trance-like state almost, which is exactly sort of what you want from something that's supposed to be like a dance of the dead, you know? Yeah. It gets, it emulates that feeling really well, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, It has very grand violins and like the xylophone is really fun. It's out there. I wasn't expecting it. The xylophone is actually meant to sort of represent bones clattering as they (laughs) do. That's so good. Yeah. That makes you think of the older style cartoons that did that noise effect. Right, right. All of them. And I imagine they probably drew inspiration from this song when they were going into doing sound effects and that kind of thing. Uh, That's pretty cool. I like that. Um, And then going back to the violin as well, the violin, especially in the beginning, made use of something called a tritone, which we've talked about a few times. (laughs) We have discussed this. The tritone. We fucking love the tritone. (laughs) (laughs) The tritone initially is called the Diabolos in Musica, which translates to the devil in music. And that's because people believe that this sort of discordant chord caused people, one, to get horny. And two, it also caused people to go insane. And so you have the violin coming in the very beginning, playing an A, and then tunes down their E string to E flat, which causes that sort of dissonant tritone in Holy it. Holy shit. So they're tuning mid-song? Yeah. Oh, oh. fuck. Well, all right then. That's even harder. <laughs> you know, you, what's interesting about older pieces like this, because this is what, 1850s? This is 1876. 74. 1876. So, so this is when they, they were definitely writing sheet music but they didn't have a way of recording it. Oh, right. dang. So, so literally, so the recording that we've heard now is, after is the somebody fact. else yeah. playing an interpretation 
So we may never know the truly how the Dance of the Dead actually sounded like like unless live. you were there, unless yeah. you were like there. I, and I always find that very interesting, especially listening to like Paganini pieces that are yeah. played now. It's really interesting to like to like like what did this sound like before? Like I don't know, it's wild. Dang, that makes me think about how if you went back in time, you could that'd be a cool thing to do. Go, right. go to an old show. I mean, because because like, like, none of these because none of the people re like like interpreting this yeah. and, and playing it are the original players. So how did that person yeah. play it? Because people play things differently. This happens in mention, all of the mediums. Yeah. Go ahead. Not to mention the instruments were likely slightly different back then than they were now. Yeah, that's true. Made different from different materials. materials yeah. yeah, produced in a different way. Ooh, different woods. Mm. <laughs> it's just guitar players talking about which cabs sound the best yeah like, you know, like, eh, I, don't uh, know man. I love the idea that musicians haven't really changed much about how they talk about things in however many thousands of years of making music so like you if you were to talk to somebody from that era they'd probably still know what the I, fuck you're I'd talking about have a uh, rosewood <laughs> violin rather than a um a maple oh, a maple violin oh, because man. i just like the timber on the previous one a little better <laughs> that's great whenever i hear the word dance macabre i'm just uh picturing a guy just dancing with a skeleton on like a on like a little bingo card <laughs> for like loteria so it it definitely makes me feel that way uh when we were listening in the car it kind of feels a little disneylandish but i i think that's because we've been impounded with this style of music well it lends itself to the like there. back and forth movement of just like you may start to sway as you're listening to it because mm -hmm. of how the music is hitting you so they use stuff like that the like cycle of repeating like this could probably play over and over again and you wouldn't know exactly where it started right so like that's the point i think for some of these Mm -hmm. Just put it on the train ride at Disneyland. See if anyone actually notices. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if you give some kids some anxiousness, you know? You know, I want to say that Disney actually, like, once upon a time did do a cartoon to this song. You know how they did sort of like those Fantasia montage videos? I want to say that they did one for this as well. Maybe it wasn't Disney, but some other sort of cartoon company back in that day. Whether it was Warner Brothers or something like that. I do believe they animated something to this song particularly. Like old 1930s black and white. Yeah. Where some of those are really dark. Like they have like depictions of skeletons and like devils and demons like just hanging out and doing crazy things. Mm -hmm. so. Uh, so I was looking up certain facts about like what was happening in the world in 1870. And one of them is that in 1877, Thomas Edison demonstrates the phonograph at the offices of the scientific american which mm -hmm. is like year like a few years after that so it's like this is probably when you first start seeing like how else can we record certain things and so i thought that was an interesting one and there's also um uh, a bunch of like large events that are happening where people died a lot like this is when there was the great chicago fire mm -hmm. that like burned down half the fucking city so it's like this kind of shit is happening all around the world and so it's interesting that this dance of death would show up around these times mm -hmm. yeah and it just lends itself to the idea that art imitates what's going on during that time and so that's something i always like to look at especially when it comes to older pieces like this is how were the times inspired how is the music in inspired by the times i hate quoting my high school music history <laughs> uh, teacher uh how does the music affect the era and how does the era affect the music mm-hmm Thanks, exactly. Miss Martin. This was, you said this was first made by French artist? 
yes, this is a French artist. Okay, gotcha. So what's going on in France in 1870? Do we know? <laughs> oh, a lot of fucking loss. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, like a, there's probably a lot of shit going on. <laughs> French be wilding. Just saying. Oh, yeah. You know, just killing another one of their leaders. <laughs> we could make a religion Honestly, about Honestly, we <laughs> need to take a page from their book. I'm just saying. Oh, man. Anyways. I'm on a watch list, so what's up? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on to the next song. Now, this one's much more of a modern piece. This is Smells Blood by Kensuke Ishu. And it. it was released in 2018 alongside the anime Devilman Crybaby. Which we should definitely cover at some point. Yeah, yeah. we have to. Yeah, this song was produced for the original soundtrack. I believe Kensuke actually produced the entire soundtrack for this anime. And uh, he is a Japanese artist that produces primarily EBM music. So it's electronic body music. So it's sort of like dance music. <laughs> it has a very like repetitive bass line, synthesizers, just overall driving force. It can also be sort of compared to industrial music in some cases. That's my shit right there. Let's, let's take a quick break. dope i absolutely adore the like choir vocals that come in it gives it this sort of like cathedral gothic dance music like imagine a rave in a cathedral i think that shit would be fucking lit <laughs> shit. uh for some reason in my mind this works for like a very far in the future mm-hmm. sci-fi ish like cyberpunk kind of style song because of that fact like what you just explained where like churches wouldn't be the largest organization but they would probably end up being like capitalist areas where like you yeah. can go and actually be in a party in a cathedral so like that makes sense to me mm-hmm. but I- it's uh it's interesting because it sits outside of most genres that you can think of it is kind of created its own mini one here mm-hmm. so Kensuke Kensuke Isho sort of got a start with music when he was really young learning like piano and then eventually went on to study music and fine art at university, around the age 20, he was exposed to techno music, and then it nice. kind of took off from there. He had a few solo projects as well as being part of actual uh, rock groups. One of them notable is called Mama. Mm. Really cool. Uh, so after his time developing his sort of music style, he got into doing more soundtrack work. He's actually scored quite a few animes, and yeah. I think this one was sort of his more notable one. This song in particular has actually gained a lot of recognition, at least in the last like year or so, primarily due to the the app TikTok. Now, I know people have a lot of things to say about TikTok, and I do too, trust me, but <laughs> the app was initially set forth as a music sharing app. Yeah. And so you'll a lot of times find these songs that are getting revitalized and maybe have come out years ago and didn't really receive recognition. And all of a sudden in 2021, they're starting to blow up like this song was. He, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say he's going to do the music for uh, the anime Chainsaw Man. Really? Yes. Sick. Oh, He's sick. doing all of the music for it, so it's going to be fucking dope. Um, <laughs> and the anime is ridiculous. In regards to the TikTok comment, it's kind of like 
I mean, you're, you're scrolling really fast on the platform, but the thing is people are using these in skits and then they have the hashtag. So, or you could just you can click find the song, the song itself yeah. and you could just see millions of videos. Everything associated with it. Associated with it. Um, but this, this song, uh, in particular in regards to the anime, it always strikes me, uh, like it's, it just kind of like my jaw drops because every time they play electronic music, it's only when the character Ryu comes in, in like a fucking super nice fancy sports car. Yeah. So the entire anime has like its own uh, sound soundtrack, but only when this specific character comes in, that's when they hit the the electronic. They created style. a soundscape around the character that you're seeing on screen. Yeah. So there is like a visual element that goes along with it because it was designed to be a part of the show. He's like always in a sports car, driving like a hundred miles per hour on the freeway, and like. That's what this song makes me feel like. And if I get in the car, I drive faster with it because that's how music works. Um, but yeah. This is a very driving song. <laughs> yeah. it, and also very much a song for driving. <laughs> you know, I want to say for this song in particular, I think it showed up in this particular scene where he's at a club just murdering a bunch of fucking yeah. people. The show is, if you don't know anything about the show, you need to know that it's extremely violent. And horny. <laughs> and horny. It's amazing. I think I binged it in like a day. Yeah, it's easy to watch in a day because yeah. the episodes are not that long. If you don't like, feel weird at the end of it, you're not human. No, <laughs> yeah. I had to like sit outside, like have a smoke. I was like, bro, what, what did I just Pretty watch? controversial when it came out. People yeah. were split on whether or not they liked it because of the outside of like the way the storyline goes it ends up being very wild extreme and violent and they weren't sure if that's what made it interesting or if it was making the show like kind of t uh, not tasteful the original manga for devil man crybaby he is a superhero yeah he is something wholesome for kids to be like well everyone's like well he's a devil but he's saving people right so for this it was just like nah what if we just made this shit dark as fuck yeah and the music like definitely supplements it it helps it out a lot the driving bass the the weird angelic chords which i think might be actual choir it just all adds to the uh suspense of the anime great Good song pit. overall 10 out of 10 for me dog yeah Love. check out the rest of the soundtrack too that thing yeah slaps. and it's very extensive there's like over 30 songs on this album probably more they for the longest time they didn't have on on spotify and Apple Music, but they, they have it now. So that's all that matters. I feel like after it started to blow up and go viral on a lot of social media platforms, that's when they're like, okay, let's put it on Spotify. It all revolves around money once again. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't everything. All right, so this next song is another sort of industrial beat. Uh, this one's categorized as electronic body synth music. Super fun. Uh, this is El Kukui by Unholy. This was released in this year, actually, 2021. <laughs> So I went in to do a little research about this artist, but honestly, there's like no information I can really find about them. Not even on their social media. I was What's really able to come one? through. This is uh, Unholy is the artist's name. Huh. 
And uh, I tried looking them up. I The label that they're signed to is Moratin that does a lot of uh, EBM, EBSM music, a lot of industrial sort of dark wave music. Um, I want to say that the record label is based out of the Netherlands, but that's just something I found. I, I noticed the word Netherlands associated with the label at some point. So I'm going to assume that they're based out of the Netherlands. I want to say that this artist is Lithuanian only because I did a little research uh, on their Instagram page. There's a screenshot of their own Spotify and it was in a different language. So I typed in what it said on Google Translate and it translated it to Lithuanian. So I'm guessing that this is a Lithuanian artist. That's wild to me because the song is called El Cucuy. Which yeah. is which, uh, <laughs> Spanish. Or is it specifically Mexican or is it overall? Any sort uh, of the legend is mostly in Mexico, which is essentially like the Mexican version of the boogeyman. He's underneath your bed. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the term, I think, came from a much longer one that was used somewhere else, probably in Spain or Latin, but it ended up being the shortened version of it. Are, are, you, are you saying that there are Spanish parents... Yes. That were telling their children oh, yeah. to be good or else El Cucuy Dude, will get you. Dude, there's like eight different things your parents will tell <laughs> legit, you. Like, yeah. Yeah. Legit. Like, that's like, okay. If oh, it's not the right. fucking boogeyman, it's going to be La Llorona, which is the lady who literally drowned her kids in the fucking water. It's the Chupacabra or yeah. it's uh, the fucking... <laughs> the goat uh, eater. The, the, what's the fucking other one? Um, so It's like a, a serial killer. I forget his name. But oh, like, fuck. there's like four or five different things. They prepare oh, you to be ready for anything. the guy, right? Yeah. The mm-hmm. one who... He'll like sing kind of like a tune like as you're going on like lures kids in it's like they have so many legends about eating kids that i think they're just like wanting to, to parent with fear that's so, really what it is yeah make sure to eat your rice and beans or that they will get you um <laughs> that is actually like I, whenever my aunt or my tia would bring it up she'd always be like if you don't do that the el cucuy will get you i'm like fuck i need, <laughs> to, eat, I need to eat this shit <laughs> you know what's funny is when I was looking into this song and typing in to see if there's any sort of interview about the song or the artist, I came across, ironically enough, uh, Yolanda, the the chick who murdered Selena. They oh. call her El Cucuy. <laughs> oh, I would believe it. You took <laughs> so, Selena from us, right? Low key, I feel like the song is about her. Ooh, just it has this really like dark, sort of menacing, driving baseline going on here, and then you have these synths come in that almost sound like some sort of grotesque animal noise or a roar or something like that. It's very spooky. Discordant. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Especially <laughs> how it opens like with the, the, you know, like those little things. I don't know. It's yeah. like, it's like something like cruising through your room, knocking stuff over, right. but like slowly walking towards you and it doesn't give a fuck. So I got to point out that at this point, after doing however many episodes of the podcast that we've done, you guys have changed the way that you analyze things. Because prior to doing any of these episodes, you wouldn't have gone into how this makes you feel and what you're seeing. And so now you guys are describing what you hear in the music and what this might make you see visually. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of a layer of music analysis that doesn't really happen for your average listener. I feel Some like people don't do this. This is true. And <laughs> I feel like I've sort of always had that relationship to Same. music in that there's always some sort of visuals going in, on in my head when I'm listening to something. Yeah. And I think always. a lot of this comes from my uh, background of being a dance artist is right. I have to sort of be able to put visual images to the music in order to create the dance. But I really like this song in particular because there are very strong visuals I get when I'm listening to this. I just picture this like 
massive blob of something, like you said, cruising down the street, <laughs> cruising through your room. Not to mention, we're all associated with music in some way or another. Yeah. And like you mentioned with dance, two of you guys, Mitch and Murr, both make music and are in bands. And I often have to choose music for film scores and how that might make you feel. So it's like, I think it's a good mix of, of how we can approach whatever we're looking at. And in this case, um, it probably lends a lot to the artist to create a visual that might show up in your mind when you're creating something because it makes it memorable mm-hmm. and you'll remember these kinds of beats. Everyone has something different to, to, <laughs> to show to you that isn't exactly there. Yeah. And that's part of why this music is so important when it comes to horror is a large part of horror is mm. the music. Could you imagine some of your favorite horror movies without the soundtrack? Uh, I love the way this has evolved. So originally when horror films were made or thrillers, like things you would see in the early like 1900s, was uh, they had a lot of orchestral music for horror films and thrillers as, and things that would become the sort of like rising music that would hit whenever a jump scare happens in films. And then eventually it turned into like a soundscape. So you don't necessarily have horror movie songs anymore. It's more of just like a soundscape and then the noises. We're moving less to like actual songs with yeah. like violins and more into... Pads well they'll do what they'll yeah exactly feeling. what they'll do is they'll play something in the background and you you don't even notice it's there for a long time unless it's gone and then you hear silence and so they you, they'll do that and then they'll take it away and then use silence very deliberately it's also a wonderful thing to talk about the people who make these soundscapes as well as sound editing yeah because they have to be hand in hand with one another and they're usually two different people yeah, which is crazy because it's so much work to do for each one. So it's like, I like that you're also figuring out just how many people are associated <laughs> behind the scenes of films of making stuff. Even with music production, they have like a, like a ton of people touching it and then multi-layered over it. And so the, you now have these multi-layered songs that we're listening to compared to some of the like simpler things you might have heard like, before. Uh, like you could take John Carpenter's theme from yeah. Halloween and that's just one guy on a, on a, a Moog. But the thing is, um, we don't make themes anymore. We we make whole feelings. We don't, which is a shame. I think newer things should definitely have themes. Because <laughs> theme songs were dope. I don't know why we're All Everyone needs a that. good theme song. If I was a villain in a movie, this would be my theme song. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. We should revisit that later in the Ooh, episode. That's another cool episode idea. Yeah. What's what your, are our what theme, theme songs? Villain songs? All right. Next great. music episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to give one more note because uh, the impacts on this for the drums are very minimal. Nice. And so I really like it's hard to find good impacts on the internet. So <laughs> you got you get a good amount of people getting their own sounds from different places. So I like how it sounds like metal crashing but they're so quiet in the mix that it's like very very ambient. So shout out to uh what's their name again? Unholy. Uh Unholy from Lithuania. I love the research you did for that. Oh, I just... really tried. I I was going nuts. Just like, like I can't find the... anything yeah. about them. And even the record label, I went to their website and like their website isn't even up yet. So I went to their social medias and they have very minimal description. This might be one of those instances where the the artist doesn't want to produce anything yeah. out there about their image, about what they're yeah. doing. And it's like, a, you said it came out this year, so I'm only imagining that they're kind of wanting to be anonymous for a while. I love yeah, that. Absolutely. I love the idea of the obscure artist who doesn't want to be in any sort of limelight for anybody to see it. Like, they're like, just they're like, right, they're right. oh, dude, don't you want to get like some fame? So I want to fucking play music yeah. for these people. Like, <laughs> gross. I, I just want to make it. When I saw, <laughs> I saw Carpenter Brute Live, their synth wave, and um, 
my friend Nick Bianco was doing photography, and they're like, you can't take pictures no. of the main guy. No. And they're like, you can take a pictures all you want of the guitar Isn't player and the drummer. <laughs> and he's like, you take two shots at most of the guy. Make sure you don't get his face. Interesting. And it's like, okay. He wants to not be seen. So, yeah. all right. Maybe, maybe there's a reason for the lack of info. <laughs> it almost makes me think of groups like Slipknot that would wear the mask initially to sort of separate who they were from the music, mm. adding emphasis to the art they create rather than the people that they are. Because, sorry, I know we're trying to move oh, on, yeah, but one no, more thing. Good. I feel like that's something discussion. that's really prevalent with a lot of music, especially popular music, in that the image of the artist is just as important as the art they're creating. That is so good <laughs> even even more so sometimes like yeah. their image is more important than the art that they're creating there, there, there's a band that my friend showed me recently i've been jamming their album for the last week they're called the arm they never showed what they were for about five years oh, shit. and they finally released three live sets all this year one after the other and everyone's like this isn't the real fucking band is it they're like super ripped dude they got a female <laughs> chick so they, they got like all these guys with guitars and long hair and they got jacked arms they're like this is yes. bullshit these are actors <laughs> no. i would love if they hired <laughs> actors just to fake out right, the right. Whole there's audience. just a bunch of buff dudes with the guitars yeah. like, yes. not even playing uh, <laughs> just like <laughs> all right you pretend you're in a band they're like they don't right. know they don't know the names of these musicians so they're oh giving them all like God. like stage nicknames slash nick oh so wow they're like oh yeah that's buffy mcarms guy or whatever some <laughs> Stupid shit like that. Bro. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> Arms Johnson. I don't know. Arms Johnson. That's. I, I want to know their protein regimen at shows, like, because <laughs> you know they get catering. So I want to know how many pounds of chicken they get. All right, next song. All right. <laughs> so this next song is called Sphinx by the French group La Femme. I heard you like arpeggiators. So I put arpeggiators with your arpeggiators. Can you explain what that is? Because I only just found out last night. <laughs> so, so, oh, bitch, in so music, in music, there are things called chords, John. There are things called chords and there are things called scales. Yes. So when you arpeggiate something, usually what it'll do is you'll make a chord for it. And then what it does is it plays the notes in that chord over and over again. In a sequence. In a sequence, yes. You could change the the velocity as well as the speed at which the sequence is going. So this one is very, very slow, but it's building. Yeah, the song is something else. So a little bit about La Femme. They are a French group, obviously. Somewhere in France. Hey. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to pin a specific genre on the band because right. they do change their sound frequently from album to album. What I could find online as far as their genres goes is they're categorized as new wave, cold wave, kraut rock, psychedelic punk, psychedelic kraut pop, rock. surf rock, and yeah, yeah, which I'm not really sure what yeah, yeah is. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And what the, uh, fuck? <laughs> the group is actually only made up of two core members, Sasha Go and Marlon Magnier. Uh, however, when they perform live, they have a six-piece pe six group that performs on stage. Nice. And in the recording studio, they have even more people that will come in to help produce their music. 
Uh, so I wanted to just sort of read through the lyrics a little bit because I know a lot of our listeners are not French speakers. Before you read the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know this is just going to change how I feel about this song because I don't speak French at all. Mm-hmm. So at first, this is a very soothing track. But now I feel like all of that's going to be crushed. With these <laughs> lyrics. Oh, I mean, I don't think so. Well, you the don't lyrics think so? aren't necessarily dark. Yeah. They're very oh. like oh. sort yeah, yeah, of yeah. esoteric. Sounding. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, also really quick. Sorry, you mentioned that genre of music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I looked it up. It was a style of pop music that emerged from Southern Europe in the early 1960s. The term was derived from the English term "yeah, yeah," popularized by British beat music bands such as the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, mate. Fuck the Beatles. <laughs> AK, yeah, fuck yeah. the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Kill John Lennon again. (laughs) 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 Fucking MVP. Uh, (laughs) All right, so I'm not going to read out the full song, but just the little first section here. So, dancing on acid and feeling like a feather drifting wherever the wind fancies, I tower over the mountains and head for Babylon. I lose myself in time. I feel like the Sphinx. And I walk over the plains and feel the soft grass caress the bottom of my feet. There are some women off in the distance. I'd like to dance with them. They take me by my hand and we dance the farandole. I come from Bethlehem and you from the north, but it doesn't matter because we are brothers and sisters. We are one of the universe, like the stars burning in my heart. Bam. Wow, this isn't even... No, 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 this is exactly how I feel. There you go. This is fine. No, this is not... Um, I'm not... I do have to point out that the mention of Babylon, I think, is really significant. Because uh, as far as uh, religion goes and in the Bible, Babylon is often the thought of the place of like the center for sin and rebellion. Like that was the place to go to if you did not want to be a part of any religion. And so taking a trip to Babylon would in many minds be like, oh, you're going to go to a place that's not so good. Be like that they would consider sinful. Mm-hmm. So it's like that is kind of a, a cool place or reference inside yeah, of the song. Like you come from the place of sin. <laughs> I come from the not place of sin (laughs) but it doesn't matter because we're all homies here yeah and i think that was sort of the emphasis on the point of this song was to separate the ideas of good and evil black and white light and dark and that they're all part of the same thing they are all coexisting within this universe and just as important as the other and neither could coexist without well you're telling me they do drugs yeah, <laughs> you telling me this whole yeah, song. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the imagery is very lush. I love uh, hearing, like, reading the line about uh, having your feet on the grass and just feeling uh, the universe in your heart. That is definitely, if you've ever experienced it, not advocating for it because I can't do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it appeals a lot to people whenever things are really short. They're laconic and they have like really specific des- descriptions about what you might see. That usually probably works best for poetry, and poetry lends itself to music. So <laughs> you have a nice basis for what you've created. Mm-hmm. The the vocals are delivered very elegantly. They're it's very catchy. And it, it is just, catchy. And, yeah, <laughs> it really is. It gets catchy. stuck in your head. <laughs> that that, and that beat. I think something I really like about this song that sort of relates to the dance macabre is they both have this like trance like element going on within the melody and the lyrics. And I think that's something that's actually really common with a lot of um, sort of horror music that happens is there is that sort of ritualistic trance-like state that you might get from listening to the songs. And that's definitely something that's very important when it comes to ritualistic music. Like if you ever listen to shamanic drums or any sort of pagan music is that there's a very sort of like 
repetitive rhythm that's going to get you into this mental state of some sorts and then transforms it from there. Yeah, it's like it's definitely grasping at you and just pulling you in. And then they hit the synth solo. And that is like they they pull some very like eastern influence in the solo it's kind of like a flute kind (laughs) of i wish i could like give the precise name for that sort of technique the chords that are used in this sort of like middle eastern egyptian music because it's very recognizable when you hear it (laughs) Like, if you think Egypt, everyone has a certain, like, (laughs) that, like, plays in their head. That'd be the uh, harmonic minor scale. Music man Mitch over here. Actually, that's the, uh, yeah, that's the, um, there's actually multiple variations of it that range from, like, Hungarian to Egyptian to, so there's tons of variations of that scale. But But that's a very, like, folky sort of scale that they're using the here. best part about this is there there's that meme circulating around this week where it's just like oh yeah video game designers when they make desert music those. and it's just like a guy with a 12 string guitar and just big old keyboards <laughs> just like yeah we need this if it's not that it's it's the sitar yeah like really big <laughs> yeah and specific instrumentation yeah. the flutes the sitars unique sort of string instruments aside from things like your guitar bass violin so this this is very similar, like you said, in lyrics to like Dance Macabre, but it also made me think like uh, it made me think about the title of the track. So it made me wonder, uh, Sphinxes, can they be scary? Are Sphinxes scary? Do you think so? Well, Sphinxes, at least from my understanding and my I don't have the full picture about that sort of aspect of history and culture, but Sphinxes right. are known to be guardian spirits. Right. They are guardians to maybe a portal uh, a place where the dead rest or a sacred temple, something like that. Usually depicted in fiction, and they usually have to give you like a riddle for you to solve to be <laughs> it's able my to favorite enter. Part. <laughs> and if yeah. you're bad with language, you're fucked. If you're bad with the riddle too, it'll fucking eat you. <laughs> <laughs> and I think in a way, the Sphinx can also be equated to something in Greek mythology, which is um, right. Fuck. What are Hades dogs called? Oh, Cerberus. Yeah, Cerberus. Cerberus. They're, they're basically the keepers of the underworld, but I guess in this version, it would just be keepers of like something more. That- yeah, and I do think in a way the song is talking about the transcendence of life and death because uh, one line in particular where they're mentioning dancing the farandole. The farandole is a dance where um, everybody just joins in hands and they make like a really long line and they're dancing around. It could either be ribbons, something like that. And this dance is used for many different purposes. On one case, it can be used as a wedding dance where the groom is the one who's leading the the train of people. This can also be a death procession dance as they're leading someone into the grave. I'm getting mad midsummer vibes. Yeah, right? (laughs) That's probably my favorite death tradition is when they have when they carry the coffin and they're playing music and dancing. Mm-hmm. And we don't really see that too much as far as our modern burials go. True. But when you go to somewhere like New Orleans, yep. this is something that's still very popular. Is people actually host parades for the dead, where they'll parade their casket down the street and everyone's joyous, wearing white, playing music, and it's sort of a celebratory event for them passing on to this next stage of existence. In a lot of cases, cultures believe death not as an end-all, be-all, but rather as a doorway into something different. I wish I had something to add to that other than, fuck, New Orleans is sick. Because, <laughs> like, holy shit, New Orleans just sounds really dope. dope. 
I want to go badly. They got crocodiles you could drink in the street. Like, they got they vampires. Got <laughs> Dude, you could drink with a crocodile. <laughs> you could drink with a crocodile the street? and a vampire the street. at the same time. Way. The rats want to fight you. Like, Dead ass. <laughs> Is this like New York style rats? Like what's going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, straight up. Like no, you these go, are some like zombie rats. <laughs> like you go into New Orleans and you're just like, oh shit, there's a rat in your restroom, dude. He's like, yeah, he lives there. Oh my yeah, god, he yeah. paying That's rent. That's his house. <laughs> yeah. You just went into his house. You and those five how, turtles, those are all his too. Oh my god. You know how New York has bodega cats? Yes. Yeah. New Orleans has bathroom rats. Hey. Bodega cats, bathroom rats. <laughs> Yo, I saw. Okay, so off topic, but I saw a video of a fucking a bodega cat fighting a New York rat, and the rat won. Oh my god! <laughs> that fucker Dang. was just slap boxing him. Like, yo, you really about to fight me on my turf? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Let's just do a, an entire episode on the horror of sewer rats from New York. <laughs> All right, so we've reached the end of this selection, but before we go, I want to ask favorite song. Uh, mine is the La Femme Sphinx one. That is uh, uh, everything I like in electronic music put into one track. Other than uh, drum and bass. Hey. I I also really like the La Femme track, but El Cacoy is also up there for sure. But I'm going to go with the La Femme track just because <laughs> it's a nice hodgepodge of a bunch of different things in a song. Uh, it's the the dance macabre, <laughs> this which is like one of my favorites. I I like this song even before we like put it onto a list to to analyze because it's uh so representative of an era of media and literature and things that I also really like. The Romantic era was such a good era for when they released like so much good work from that time period, and then it was like sort of the original idea of what romanticism was supposed to be which was like the large outpouring of emotion. Whereas now we have the idea that romanticism is like just between lovers, which isn't a thing so much anymore. Like, so it's like, that's like, I, I think it's a, to revisit something like that is also really cool for people to truly under, understand what it means for something to be romantic. Mm -hmm. And so to have something like this, where you're having a literal dance with death is a great piece of like l media essentially that you can explain to people because it's appealing to a modern audience as well. You get the idea that like we're all going to deal with death at some point and to make it so theatrical is also appealing to me to be like, oh, you're literally dancing with death. And when that dance is over, everything's over mm -hmm. and we're all going to be doing this same dance. There's no escaping it. Well said. <laughs> um, I honestly really like all of the songs, but I think my favorite's probably Dance Macabre. It's it's kind of a tie between Dance Macabre and El Kukui and my sort of place of coming from is that they're both very visual music um there's a lot of imagery that's brought up a lot of emotion and i think it's very well representative of what soundtrack should be like yeah that's true it's a it'll it'll make you sympathize and empathize with what the person might have been feeling at that time to create that emotion which is usually the most striking whenever it comes to any piece of media mm -hmm. well said do we have any final thoughts before we conclude this episode Except Go listen to the playlist. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you want? Can we put the link for the yeah. playlist that you created? Yeah, Absolutely. we can add it to the link tree. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah we'll, yeah. we'll put the link so you can go and listen to them. Um, it'll probably work best if you listen to the the songs as we're going through. Mm -hmm. Take a break, listen to the song, come back. Because <laughs> because we'll be we'll be kind of skipping through a little bit. 
Hell yeah. Well, I'm going to walk us out. Get your coats. It's kind of hot right now. Yeah. Yeah, no coats. Uh, another day recording. Flip <laughs> flops on. It's windy, though, so get like a windbreaker maybe. Oh, yeah. It's cool. It's not global warming. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we just discuss horror and media. I fucked that up. Anyways, <laughs> if you would like to support us, please consider checking out our Patreon, where for $2 a month, you could donate as well as give us recommendations for us to review a piece of horror media. Uh, make sure to check out our socials, where we are on the Instagrams, the Twitters, and the almost like Google Pluses. No one uses that <laughs> shit. And the Facebooks. Didn't they shut that down? <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> I'm oh, all Google over the Google Plus place. got shut down? I'm pretty sure. Damn. <laughs> anyways also make sure to check out our merch which is on our link tree in our instagram where you can buy shirts as well as cups and other things that have our logo as well as a cute ass chibi version of ourselves on there and then um oh yeah two things check out our link tree once again to see a movie that john has directed yeah. produced, and wrote. last, last right last right it's finally done <laughs> <laughs> and it's finished and it's in a, a kind of a limbo stage right now because i'm submitting to festivals so it has to be behind a password wall but i'll just give you the password <laughs> it's on the it's on the link you'll be able to see it in the description also since we're talking about music please check out the new record that i made with one of my best friends yes. It's called oh. Cybermancer. We just oh, dropped oh. it this week. Yeah. It is all electronic and dance music, and it is a love letter to sci-fi. Where can we find it? Uh, I will probably put a link in the link tree, or you could look up Cybermancer on Bandcamp. It Dope. is the first thing that comes up. It is a self-titled record. Uh, can yeah. you purchase it? Is it like yeah. a... It is free to purchase and listen to. It will be up on Spotify after the 26th Yo. of this month. All right, cool. Sounds good. So if you're reading this in the future, disregard that. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, and we're going to start the new year pretty soon, so get ready for new shit. Yeah, fucking... So we'll, I think we'll... We will officially be like ending whatever season this long two years has been in quarantine. <laughs> while I feel we're doing like that. this is season two. Yeah, that's ending. Uh, technically speaking, we didn't split it, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah it feels like it's the set. It's we're getting on to the third year of doing the podcast, and we want to start it fresh with a new season and a more strict schedule for what we're going to be creating. <laughs> get ready to look at some newer stuff. Get ready to look at some weird stuff and some classics, of course, and all kinds of things in between. Maybe music, literature, games, pamphlets, scenes. No. <laughs> Fan fiction. No, you sh- we should actually do an episode on Penny Dreadful from that era in Britain or England. I can't remember which era it was, but like the original idea of what that was right, is right. really cool. We're gonna we're gonna delve into some cool stuff. <laughs> we're excited. Anyways, that's all I got. Hell yeah! I'm Mitch. I'm Mer. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. Thank you. Woo!